Hi everyone, Francisco here. Just before we get started, I wanted to share something I'm really excited about. I recently launched the Story Powers Bootcamp, a course that teaches you everything you need to know about how to find, craft, and tell stories that work. But it's not just an online course, because you get personalized feedback from me for all the practical activities and three hours of live coaching to work through any challenges or focus on specific projects. So it's like if you bought a cookbook, but the chef came along with it. So go to storypowers.com and click on course. All the information you need will be there. So please check it out. And if you love the show and would like to support us, you can go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash storypowers. I drink about five coffees a day, so any support would be much appreciated. All right, on with the show. Welcome to the Story Powers Podcast, the show about the power of stories, the people who tell them, and why you should be doing it too. I'm your host, Francisco Mafus. My guest today is the public speaking guru and charisma booster, Florian Mook. Florian Mook is a trainer, keynote speaker, and speech coach, and he teaches companies the power of persuasive communication and memorable presentations. Some of his international clients include Banco Santander, Metro Group, Microsoft, Moe Hennessy, and King. Florian is a collaborator of ESA Business School in Barcelona, author of five books, and the co-creator of Rhetoric, the world's first public speaking board game. If that wasn't enough, Florian loves karaoke and has shared his passion with many unsuspecting workshop participants over the years. This was a no-holds-barred conversation on all things speaking, so buckle up, you're in for a treat. Love it or hate it, please leave us an iTunes review and feel free to be brutally honest. I've been married for too long to mind some criticism. Ladies and gentlemen, Florian Mook. Florian, welcome to the show. How are you, my friend? Hello, Francisco. Great to be here with you. Florian, you've had 104 clients in 32 industries over 15 countries and three languages. It's fair to say you've been around a little. So what I wanted to ask you was, what are the most common mistakes that you found in, in all these years you've been, you've been teaching people how to communicate better? You mean mistakes on their side? Oh, yes. <laughs> we can get to the mistakes on your side right after. Well, well, yeah. First of all, in my world that you know very well, there's only everything you do well plus and everything you can do even better plus plus. So to call it mistakes is for me a no-go. I, I cannot call it mistakes. What is something that can improve? Oh, there's so many. But if you ask me one thing in this specific field, to improve, it would be definitely what my mom always wanted to call me. Because my mom, she's now 88. Today I had a FaceTime call with her. And now she finally, I got her an iPad. Now finally she knows how to use the iPad. And now that she can use it, I told her again, she always wanted to call me or she always wanted to say, my son, the doctor, my son, the PhD. Now she's 88 and I think I'm not going to make it. But... As you mentioned, ESE Business School, IESE Business School, 10 years of collaborating, guest lecturer. If one day I will write a PhD, Francisco, I have my topic. Why can't people give specific examples? 
So one in the many things that you can improve, content deliveries, it's amazing that people always talk. Generically, I had a normal childhood. Normal what? A lady once said in my training, I had a normal childhood. I squashed beetles. Give example. I think it's fair to say that if you think that squashing beetles is a normal childhood, there's probably a lot more about your life that other people wouldn't consider normal. And guess where she's working in Berlin? In a fantasy book publisher. No wonder. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so 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 that's clearly that's clearly an area for improvement. So what is your best guess of why people do that? That's why I have to do the PhD. I have no idea. But it's amazing. You, you, can, you can swear. <laughs> I have no fucking idea. It's it's amazing. It's amazing. Because, you know, I, I'm a German and, you know, I'm a freak. I count them in Excel. And I count them in almost 11 years. It is 10,938 speeches that I've experienced in 15 countries, as you said. And it's it's amazing. And when you see those PowerPoint jihad presentations, not even let's talk about business presentations. Business presentations? We have to create value for our clients. What value? We didn't, we didn't reach the critical mass. Which critical mass? Uh, we have to create a win-win. What win-win? Be specific. You know, as, as you know, I've, I've, been, I've been slightly more active on, on LinkedIn these days. And there is one thing that value is one of those words that people keep throwing around on, on LinkedIn. How can I add value to what you're doing? I have, a, I have a good friend there that does these amazing videos. And one of the things he does is he recreates LinkedIn talk in real life. So people at a bar approaching women the same way other people try to sell on LinkedIn, right? Can you just imagine people talking to each other and saying, uh, Florian, let's go to this bar. Um, they have wine and beer. It's a win-win. <laughs> yeah. exactly. No, but I haven't reached the critical mass of my uh, monetary resources. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I think. I think One thing is bullshit bingo. We know that. That's mm. one thing. That's all generic, abstract. And abstract and generic never sticks. Only specific examples stick, like the squash beetles, which I will mention three times to Brian Mew, Francisco, really well. So for the rest of your time, you will think about that stupid beetle. Squashing beetles, yes. Yeah. My guess, so I don't have any PhD and I'm not going to have... My mom, my mom got a degree. That's all she got, right? It's a degree in English. It's useless, but I've got a degree. That's all I'm giving her. But if I were to guess... I think it's, well, one, people just don't know how to tell stories. That's the first thing. But also they don't realize the importance of those details. You know, there's the, the, that personal detail is what makes the story true. And people don't get that. They think that the more generic you are, the more you're talking to everyone. Similar to maybe eye contact. You know, talk, look to the audience so you look at everyone. No. Let's stick to what you just said. Let's stick to that. I think after all my experience, I think no. I think people don't think at all about this. It's okay. just general. Here's, here's a very, you, you mentioned one of my clients, Moet Hennessy. And this is a wonderful thing. The guy stands up in my speech structuring exercise. And I always ask, okay, give me one benefit of working for your company. In his, he was a sales head of Krug, you know, Krug, high value champagne. And, and then he said, okay, passion. So we, the employees at Moet Hennessy, we have passion. And then I asked him, okay, give me an example of your passion for that company. 
And then he struggled and he struggled. And give me some passion. I said, give me some example. How do you make it tangible that you're passionate about it? And of course, he didn't know. And then at one point, I got crazy and he got crazy. He's standing there in front, exposed in front of everyone. And then he said, well, maybe the birth of my son. I said, oh, that's interesting. What happened to your son? Yeah, you know, then he was born, apparently. And what? Yeah, and I wanted to celebrate. And what? Yeah, I opened a bottle of Krug. I put my little finger in the glass and I put it in his mouth. That, is, a, that is gold. This is a fucking example. <laughs> I mean, that is gold. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I guess that people you're right. I mean, people probably just don't think about these things. You know, we we're weirdos. We think about these things, but but it you know, as I mentioned with the eye contact, it's the same thing, though, isn't it? People look at the audience because they think that that's the way to look at the audience. Well, no, the audience is not a person. You need to look at a few people, so you're looking at everyone. And with the details, it might be the same. That one small thing you do makes the rest come to life because it feels real. Where if it's just this sort of corporate speech, it's just the most boring thing in the world, right? Now, now I realize this this podcast already triggers all my teaching answers. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I mean, a teacher. I'm a teacher who takes out. I don't want to put in. But if you say eye contact, I always say in my trainings, there are four, there are four main objectives for any speaker communicator. To inform to entertain, to inform, to entertain, to persuade, move to action, inspire, change your attitude. So inform, entertain, persuade, inspire. And what I always say is on top of these four pillars, there's a big, huge horizontal block. And this is the end game of public speaking and communication in general. And this is called connection, to connect with human beings. And how can you connect when you don't look at them? There is no way. You look at one person at a time. Don't make it five seconds, otherwise it's psychopath. Yes. I I think I have described this to people before as you need to look at them enough that they feel connection, but you shouldn't look at them enough that they feel sexually harassed. (laughs) Everything is possible (laughs) in a bare podcast. (laughs) And of course, it's, it's sex appeal. When you look... One second is okay. One and a half is okay. Three seconds, it's sexual connection. There's not usually what we're going for in public speaking, but, you know, everything has its place, I guess. Uh, There are many many speaking and communication trainers out there, but your style is, let's just say, unique. And I'd hate to ruin the surprise for any prospective clients out there, but... Can you share a little of what you do that is different than the norm? One of my most faithful friends and clients is Home Shopping Europe 24, HSE 24. It's a home shopping television program in Munich, based in Munich in Germany. And I remember my, that's the only of the 104 clients I've had, that's the only company that invited me to do a pitch. So we picture the scene. There is the the good cop, the head of HR, the bad cop, Alex, the head of training and development, and the neutral studio head who didn't say anything. And the whole thing was I have to you know, present myself. What am I doing? And after two minutes, bad cop, Alex says the typical question, but Florian, why you? 
And I'm like, damn, again, the same stupid question. Why? And I have to start at level zero again. And you know, ethos, no, Francisco, ethos, credibility. I know it's an output. And we always have to start at level zero. Like Kung Fu Panda, when the guy says, voice Dustin Hoffman, now this is level zero. Exactly. This is where you have to start every time. But it's frustrating because after all those years and after all those clients and after all those celebrations and the beers and the wines with those clients, the guy comes and says, why you? And then this was the moment when I wrote an anti an anti or what's a reverse psychology article, which I called seven reasons why you should never work with me. And this is it. There are definitely things you don't want to work with me. And I only mentioned two because you asked me, I don't want to mention all seven, but two of them. My handwriting is, okay, what is a euphemism? Uh, my handwriting, God cannot read it. That's not a euphemism, but he's not able to read. God cannot read my handwriting. And you know, when you're a trainer, you are supposed to write with the nice red stuff, these, these, these clouds and with blue, and it's also nice and cool. And mine is absolutely modern art. That's one. So when you want good handwriting, don't work with me. And then the seventh reason I gave is, you know, I work in Spain. I live in Spain for now 17 years. So if you have a problem with some good wine during the lunch break in the training, I'm so not your trainer. I'm crazy and I'm passionate about it, but I have my style and I just do it. And whatever other people do, I don't care. I do my thing. I'm going to ask you a question that I, I expect you've heard before. But Florian, surely some of that is not appropriate for the business environment. You want to hear a bare answer or a sugar-coated answer? Well, no one has ever say, said chosen the latter in that uh, in that question. I, I used to ask the same thing to clients of mine and say, "Do you do you want me to be brutally honest, or should I sugarcoat the truth for you?" I work with KPMG, KPMG, the place to be. Only, by the way, only few people know that it's Kleinwelt, Pete, Mavic, Gödele. That is knowledge you really don't need to know. I was a board member's assistant for one and a half years from 2001 to 2003. So I had to know this in Germany. And KPMG, my friends, come on. We are all human beings. And I don't want to be too bare, but you know what human beings do? They get drunk. They take drugs. I never took drugs. People always think I take drugs. The only drug I took was one hash tea in my Erasmus exchange program in Barcelona. For 24 hours, I was gone. That's my only time I took drugs. Really, seriously, never took drugs. But people do that. And people have lives. And people are bad. And people are good. And people have divorce. And people have depressions. And people are human. So if you want to connect with human beings, end game, I mentioned it, end game of communication is connection. Be human. There is no differentiation for me anymore in trainings between business and non-business. It's all the same. I agree. I, I mean, I, I think that this is the, you know, it falls back onto the whole, you know, being generic is it's impossible to connect with this avatar of a person that goes up there and tells you stuff. And even if they are polished and even if they are a good speaker, you keep looking for, but it's not, I mean, that's not really you. I mean, there's there's this example that I think every single public speaking trainer 
uh, Lenzon. Uh, it, it was in my book. I found out later it was on the TED book. I think it might have been on your latest book, which is The Uncanny Valley. Okay, so The Uncanny Valley is this phenomenon you get when you see something that looks human, but not quite. If you watch some animated movies, for example, like The Polar Express, where people they're ma- they try to make them look real, but there's just something odd. It just feels uncomfortable. It's just not right. And you're looking at them and it's just like, but this is doesn't, this is not how people look. This is not how people speak. And 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 I get that feeling often when people are speaking in public. They're there, but it's not a real human being. I mean, no human being speaks that way. And on the same page, not on the polar bear page, but on the same page of, of what is, you know, business and normal and authentic authentic. In my, two of my best friends from study from college times in Bamberg, Bavaria, beautiful town. It is Tycho, Tycho Misadic is a Croatian, and Mike Springer, a German. And they are best friends. They live at beautiful Lake Tegernsee, Lake Tegernsee outside of Munich in the mountains. And they are the two best salespeople I know on this planet. Okay, I know personally. There are many good salespeople, but these guys I know. And I've no, I know their track record. I know Symantec and uh, HP and Mike built his own company with his brother and amazing stuff. Both have one thing in common. They talk to their clients like to normal people. This is what it is. I mean, we're human beings. And, and okay, when you're a public speaker, as you know, you're a public speaker, Francisco, know your audience. You have a message. Anything you do on the content and delivery side must support the message. I will not talk about any weird drunken stuff when I was 15 when it doesn't support the message. But when I felt free at that lake when I was 15 and I listened to Guns N' Roses, Paradise City, and I was drunk and gave a kiss to Bona and I felt freedom. And this is the freedom we need today in this company. I will tell that story. I think that. Part of the issue is that a lot of people, they're sometimes focusing on the details or the context and not in the unique feeling that is being generated by those details and that context. I mean, I, I had a conversation with uh, with someone we both know, Gustavo. He was trying to find an angle to do a, a speech about whales. And, and I talked to him and I found out that he very clearly he loves whales. Whales are one of his passions. And I asked him, how long have you loved whales? And he says, I've always loved whales. Since I was a kid, I loved whales. And then I said to him, okay, so how about this? Do you remember that thing when you were a kid that you were crazy about? You know, it was a bit weird. Nobody knew how it started, but that was the thing you were insane about. And you wanted toys of that thing. And you asked your mom for your next birthday to be decorated with that thing. Now, for you, that might have been cars. It might have been Barbies. It might have been Superman or Transformers. For me, it was whales. And I said to him, everybody has had that experience. Some people still have that experience. (laughs) But you are looking for the feeling behind the details, and the details don't matter. You know, Francisco, that I, I cannot uh, I cannot accept your generalization just now when you said everyone has had this experience. Can you please <laughs> say who hasn't had this experience to be on the Fair same enough. side? Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. That is a that is a, that is well, a good point. Mine was uh, when I was getting my appendix appendix out. I was ten years old, one week in the hospital, the appendix, and then uh, do you remember Masters of the Universe? Oh, the <laughs> crappy Superman, uh, yeah, Hitman movie. 
I was so in my He-Man and Masters of the Universe thing. Yeah, we all had that. Oh, 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 who hasn't had that? <laughs> We watch back some of these things and they are terrible. Uh, someone told me that they watched uh, Thundercats the other day and it was terrible. I mean, like not fun at all. And I said, no, I'm not, I'm not touching that. I, I loved Thundercats. I'm not ruining my memories of Thundercats by actually watching it again. So, um, all right, let, let me switch gears a tiny bit. And you call your training or trainings the Charisma Booster. Uh, and and we've had we've had a conversation before where you talked about how public speaking is just a tool. It's not the final goal of of most of these things. Is not that you just become better speaker, better communicator. That there's more to that. So my question is, how much do you feel that becoming a better speaker actually transfers into other areas of your life? The question is the impact, the positive impact of public speaking in your life. How long have you been a Toastmaster? I've been a Toastmaster for coming up to nine years, I think. Nine years. Now you're sitting in front of me on the screen doing a podcast. You published a book. You're becoming a professional speaker. You train people. You coach people. Hasn't that changed your life? The thing is, all the people I've known, I can only talk about the, the people in our club in Toastmasters. And I've been, I the day that changed my life was the 5th of October, 2005. It was a sunny day. It was a humid day. Barcelona, still hot, lots of traffic, Gran Via. And I turned around and I, first Toastmaster meeting, everybody clapping all the time, the banners, Mrs. President, Sergeant Alves. And what a freak show. And at school, I was always in the last row. I threw the lemons and the oranges at the geeks in the first row. And there I was in the geek show number one. And I signed up the first night. So this day definitely changed my life. And in those 15 years, almost now, I've seen and I've experienced our friends. And I've seen others, how they evolved. The, the friends, more friends, better jobs starting a new career, starting their own company, starting podcasts, starting, starting, starting. I mean, communication is the center of everything. In my second, you called Charisma Booster. I have now Charisma Booster 1, two-day training, first training. Everyone has to do that. And some people take a second one, the Charisma Booster 2. And there, after lunch, I have the Football club charisma, 11 players for more charisma because I played football for more than 20 years. And they're the central player, the Javi, the Michel Platini back then, the, the Pelé, he was a bit of a striker though, uh, the Mateus in Germany, uh, Zico, you're Brazilian, mm -hmm. Zico, Socrates, Socrates, Brazilian team, amazing stuff. That's the game maker. That is the, the, what everything, that is communication. In my football club charisma, in that speech, the, the central player is communication. And when you can communicate well in all aspects, storytelling, structure, uh, humor, humor, delivery, voice, body language, eye contact, movements. I mean, how can you not be more successful in life? It's, it's impossible. I guess that the funny thing, and, and I keep coming back to this, the more, the more I get into this world, the more this just jumps out of me, at me is that most people think that people like you and I who actually enjoy public speaking are weirdos. Not saying we are not weirdos for completely different reasons. I'm but, totally a weirdo. But what I think, what, what is becoming clearer to me is 
it might actually be the opposite. Why isn't everyone doing this? Why isn't the weird thing to not do public speaking? I mean, it's, I fully agree with you. And it's it's clearly into the center of almost every single, just not even talking about the personal side, but just on the career side of things. I mean, what job would not benefit from you becoming a better communicator? You can count on your fingers. I mean, just the very technical things. There's one, I don't want to interrupt you, which is a paralypsis because I'm interrupting you. <laughs> now, this, the stage fright is between the logic and the future. I mean, logically, it makes sense. You will have better friends, you will have better jobs, you will have a better, better career. Why don't you do it? Stage fright. I was sitting, I remember in Bonn, in the former German capital in Western Germany, it's next to Cologne. I am sitting in bathroom, three square meters. It's a dark room. The light is off. I'm sitting on the bathtub, but it's closed. And there I am. And I have a panic attack. I have a panic attack because, because 10 minutes later, I'm sitting in a room with 25 students and I have to say with a pen in my hand, I'm Florian. I study business administration in Bamberg, Bavaria, uh, focused on marketing, and I have to find my first employer here. It was an assessment center with many students. I panicked. I mean, if I look back now, 21 years back, I think I'm stupid. But this is that was my reality. And I understand people to have panic because it is panic. I don't disagree at all with you. What I also think, though, is that it's perhaps because everybody f has that fear, that it's become normal not to consider public speaking an essential skill. Because a lot of the people that I speak to, they don't, it's not even, oh, I would love to do that, but it terrifies me. Or, yeah, I think it's just that the, the fear, if it's the driver, has taken over so completely that it's not even a consideration for most people. I mean, the fact that anyone would have to, to convince an individual or a company that they need to invest in, in in communication training, to me, just seems bonkers. I mean, why would you not want to communicate better yourself or for your people to communicate better? And sure, stage fright is, uh, is a big part of it, but it's become almost a niche thing. And, and that makes no sense. I mean, it, you know, in the individual level, it kind of does, but from a societal level, to me, it just doesn't well, make sense. Because you're also getting into this now, uh, never call a public speaking coach, call it a communication skills trainer, mm -hmm. because communication is, is less resistance. Public speaking is the scene, oh, panic. And communication is everything. That's why I call it a tool. It's the mean to get to more. The outcome is charisma. Why is charisma? Because this is authenticity, role model. This is uh, self-confidence, everything you learn through public speaking. And this is why the, the output, the benefit is charisma. That's why I call it boosting your charisma. But of course, public speaking, once you get them into that, they get addicted. It's very addictive, as you know. A lot of what we do or what we love doing seems to have changed recently now that we're all stuck at home and the the possibility of getting on a stage in front of hundreds of people is for the time being on ice and you have been one of the people that have jumped headlong into you know the new world of doing these things online um, so i just wanted to know what are you finding so far what you like it what you don't like it so much how is it different how is it the same in 18 18 years ago 2002 2002, I was board member's assistant, technical assistant of a guy, my mentor, boss, 
Professor Dr. Peter Wiesner in KPMG Germany. And with him, I organized a 700-piece conference, two and a half days in Berlin, our conference of all the department of KPMG where I worked. And he, his favorite book always was Who Moved My Cheese? Do you know Who Moved My Cheese, Spencer Johnson? One of those fables, you know, about change. And in the book, just a short, the short summary. Summaries are always short, right? It's a summary. There is these two mice and the two guys every day go to the same room and there's a lot of cheese. And one day the mice and the guys get into the room. There's no cheese. Corona! Corona! There's no cheese. And what do the mice do? They put on their sneakers and they run away. What do the humans do? Who stole our cheese? They start complaining. In beginning of March this year, when Spain came, I live in Spain, in Barcelona, outside of Barcelona, when, when the lockdown came and it was obvious, oh, yeah, this is it, I put on my sneakers and I started to run to find new cheese. And I knew this is online. And for years, the, the irony of life is, as you know, that I always said, no, online, it's not replacing physical, presential stuff. We have to be there, the energy in the room. And now I do online. And the first thing I did, 25 YouTube live sessions on public speaking. 25 YouTube live sessions, 30, 37 minutes, somewhere there. And these 14 hours, they changed everything. That was a super big learning curve. And now, of course, I create my own videos and I will create product because online is now the evidence. I just talked to my client, a big heating giant in Germany, global giant for heating systems, and with the HR guy, Steffen, and, and we're now talking about how to move everything online. And I told Steffen, the future of trainers, if you listen to this podcast and you are a trainer, the future will be, you must be hybrid. If you're not a hybrid trainer, meaning... You're capable to do offline trainings in a room with people and online just the same way, with the same energy, with the same enthusiasm, with the same results. You're out of the game. We talked about, we are convinced, I'm convinced. So there is no option. Put on your sneakers. Don't complain about Corona. Run, get online. Don't forget offline. And in the future, you have a better, better quality. And how are, because, you know, I understand all the reasons why you didn't want to do it. I, I share or used to share most of those reasons. So what has surprised you positively? Well, the screen, the camera is a good friend now. And, and the screen, you can do many things. I do, this is a podcast, you could don't see me, but I can use my hands to replay stage movements. I, I definitely have the same voice as more, more, much more power on your facial expressions. All this has more it's, it's more exposed. So, of course, the gym carries among us. They have an advantage now. And you can play a lot. Props. I use now a lot of props, which on stage I would say two to three max because you would be a clown on stage. Now, it's like Netflix here. This is like Amazon Prime. On TV. This is like a screen. It's like watching a movie, a series. You can do many new things, which, of course, for me, because I love this topic of communication so much, they are so intriguing and I play and I investigate and I find new things and I want to improve. And that's the beauty about it. I think most of the things you said there are coming from your side. So the, the pleasure of the creator, of, of developing the form, of practicing things, finding out new tricks. 
I think what a lot of people are resistant about from, from our side, from the speaker's side, is was perhaps less that and more of the feeling. So, you know, how exciting is it to, to speak in front of an audience when that audience is behind the screen? How have you found that so far? Well, this brings me back to the 25 YouTube live sessions. It was hell on earth. The first session I deleted, and you shouldn't delete stuff on the web, but I just thought this is so pathetic. Damn it. And and when I regretted deleting it once I deleted it, but then it was too late now. But then I have 24 sessions there. You can, you can watch them. I mean, it's a big learning curve. In the end, it's a new thing. You have to imagine much more the audience through this black hole here this in front of you you see them and of course big advantage in the zoom meetings and all these microsoft team meetings and all those go to web meetings or what's it called it's you see these people on the screen so you can play with them it's 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 there are advantages even to do that online but but definitely i want i don't want to call it fake it till you make it i would call it imagination of an audience because you feel that they hear you. You have to know. You hear me when I talk to you. It's, it's the same in a new wardrobe. This is something I'm I'm a bit confused about. Because so what, one problem I've had when I've done these things, and I've done a few now, is not seeing the audience in the sense that, you know, I'm supposed to look at the camera more than I'm looking at the audience. So when I'm looking at the camera, I'm not actually seeing the audience, which which I don't like that much. But the sound, it seems to be the norm. We've imported into the speaking world the business norm of everybody being muted while one person is speaking. But I have no idea why we do that if it's a speaking presentation, because then we lose that feedback. I mean, why would we not want to get people laughing or making whatever sounds they make? Obviously, that puts the onus on people to be quiet and not tap on their phones or you know, type on the computer. I'm burning to answer. I don't want to jump the question, but but I'm in a Rotary Club in Barcelona. Barcelona Club uh, Europe is our name, and we have now meetings. And last Monday we had 24 people online, and our average age is elevated. And it took us a while. This was the fourth week now. Now it's getting. Now it's becoming a standard. But to get them on Zoom, I mean, that was hell on earth. And of course, when these people have background noises and they're not aware of that there is background noise. And in our club, it happens. There's daughters or dogs barking. or the, Then it, you don't have that in a normal room when you're a keynote speaker. There's no dogs barking and there is no coffee. You don't have that. So what I would say, the new etiquette will evolve that people are, are responsible for their own rooms. So when there is no noise, I always, I never mood myself. I never mute myself. In our Toastmaster Club, we've we've had a hardcore training with distraction because obviously we have that choir that sings right above us. So in the middle of your dramatic speech, you get um, you get some village people in the in the background, and we've gotten used to that. And I don't think it phases phases us anymore. But but I, I have found that strange so far. It's this idea that uh, the norm is mute and, and and not hearing people speak. All this is new to every one of us, so it will just evolve. Don't you worry. And do you do you get the adrenaline the same way? No, there is no stage fright. Yeah, I'm finding that I do to some extent. So I've done, I've done. You know, I did a Facebook Live a couple of weeks ago, and I think a lot of that is also the technical side because I'm so 
unused to the technical aspects of it that I'm concerned of screwing up completely the tech, right? Because, you know, I, the, is the computer going to work? Is the microphone fine? Is that, you know, all of these things that I never have to worry about. But I did find that I get very similar a physical feeling to speaking than I do. The speaking itself was easier, perhaps, because I'm not seeing anybody, but the, the prep... Anyway. Stage fright is always egocentric anyway. Uh, you're not there for you. You're f there for the audience. It doesn't matter. You might notice I did not call it stage fright. I called it adrenaline. Yeah, that is that is a euphemism. It's not a euphemism because it is adrenaline. It is but, adrenaline. Uh, it sounds better. <laughs> That's our job, <laughs> making things sound better. I always say public speaking is a bungee jump for free. It's amazing. Why people don't jump, man. I, I realized that that I left I let you slide on on something when the, my very first question was about the mistakes which now I, I shall call the, the the areas for improvement that you noticed in all these trainings right and then you said of of the people I'm training or of myself and I didn't pick a, pick you up on that right so uh, can you just you know before we before we're done can you just tell me in all the time that you've been doing this what are the areas for improvement or the plus plus that you found in yourself with uh, with all the experience you've had so far that's a good and tricky question because when i reflect on the last 11 years my first test training was on the third of i think third of july 2009 in barcelona i didn't have money to pay the room so the eight volunteers had to pay the 30 euros themselves that was worth the days And when I reflect on what happened between then and now, I don't know, man. <laughs> It's incremental. But now that you ask me, there's one thing, because I always participate and I always get feedback. So I nurture the feedback. We do plus and plus plus, good and better. And in one break, a guy came to me and said, Florian, can I give you feedback? And that only happened once. And I'm like, wow, shoot. And that was in Barcelona, in my favorite training location, Archiboldi, with the mosaic floor and, you know, beautiful training location. The guy comes to me. I'm filling around with my stuff. And the guy says, can I give you feedback? And, okay, shoot. And he says, yeah, Florian, you always say, when you do something spontaneous, to say, I'm only freestyling now. If you take away that line, you get more power because you take yourself down. You know, I come up with something spontaneous. I say, yeah, now I'm only freestyling. And I was like, namaste. And ever since I didn't say it anymore. When I want to say something to prove spontaneously, I say it. And people, wow, that's spontaneous. Stuff like that happened a lot. I mean, in subtle ways. What I never did is change my style. I'm, I'm absolutely convinced, you know, my, my bell curve system concept of Friedrich Gauss, the bell curve, the normal distribution and statistics, 2.28% think you are an idiot. And that's fact. And then you have another 13 something percent and they think, well, maybe the, the guys are right who say he's an idiot. But you want 70 to 80%. And if you get that, you do that with your own style. So if sometimes people, I had people who, who left the training, four or five people left the training. They couldn't handle it. Too too tough. Uh, it happens. Mm, did I change anything? No. 
What I improved incrementally is you get better and better with learning patterns. Oh my God, you learn patterns of responses, of doubt, of question, like you said before. But Florian, this is not for business presentations, your metaphors and your storytelling and your five senses. I don't care. This is too emotional. You know, when you heard it 27,000 times, you have very good answers. My answer here is the way you do it right now, you bore them to death. It can only be better. You see, you learn all these patterns, but mistakes, oh, I have one now that you, and I, I loved your silence now. He's, you should have seen Francisco now on the screen. He was like smiling, this smirky smile. Where's your real shit flow? Where's your, don't give me all this superficial crap. I did a big mistake. It's a retailer. It was in a Dusseldorf training in Germany, a horse farm, very nice, beautiful place. And that lady, in the first speech, talked about that she had, well, she had a very late child and it was a bit, it was sick. So, okay. And then, and then uh, in the speech structure exercise, uh, she didn't give me an example, like the Krug, like the champagne guy, the example. And I said, in the, in the fire, you know, I said, hey, give me an example. You must know an example. Like you talk about culture. What is culture? What is culture? What is culture? Like your boss talking to you about your daughter. And she stopped, sat down, and before lunch, she was gone. There, I lacked the, yeah, the empathy or something to, sometimes you have to not say everything. It's difficult when you do it, and I'm very energetic and enthusiastically uh, do everything, and I, I'm in the fire, but sometimes I learn to take myself a little bit back. And that was one big lesson I learned. And I think that's a perfect point to end on. If people want more Florian in their lives, where can they find it? Oh, I'm everywhere. Just find me. I will make that slightly easier for people by putting some links in the show notes. Um, I don't know if it's safe to start looking around for Florian Mook. Right? I get you. You, that. you know I hate self-celebration. I never sold any book from the back of the room in my fucking life. So yeah, you can do that. Great. I, I, I will do that, Florian. Don't you, don't you worry. Uh, okay, mate. Thank you very much for your time. I think this is great, and uh, I'm pretty sure we we haven't exhausted a tenth of what we could have we could have talked about. So we should try and do it again sometimes, perhaps in person when again when in person becomes a thing again. Oh, uh, I will continue with my online trainings then. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for the interview. Great talking to you, and uh, let's keep the public speaking spirit alive. It's it's a it's a great thing. That's a wrap, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Take care of yourselves and until next time.